Hello, everyone, and welcome to HR Works, the podcast for HR professionals. We really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to listen to us. I am the host of HR Works, Jim Davis, and the editor of the HR Daily Advisor. This podcast aims to put valuable tools and knowledge into the hands of you, the HR professional. Those tools will arm you with the best methods and strategies for attracting, motivating, and retaining top talent. Today we are going to explore what happens when one or more coworkers think that it's acceptable to be a bully. Studies show that a shocking number of employees have experienced bullying, and even more have witnessed it. This problem has a powerful effect on organizations. Uh, it affects everything, including engagement, retention, and mars a company's culture. The way that organizations deal with bullying plays a critical role in whether the damage that has been done can be stopped and repaired, or if it's allowed to continue. Our guest today specializes in building positive cultures and also in confronting workplace bullying. Catherine Mattis Zundell, MA, SPHR, SHRM, SCP, is a strategic HR consultant who partners with clients to build positive cultures. For over a decade, she has assisted companies ranging from Fortune 500s to mom and pop shops, as well as the military, nonprofits, and everything in between. She is a regular contributor to Forbes and has appeared on NPR and CNN, and in USA Today, Time, Psychology Today, and many other news, major news venues as an expert. Her first of three books was hailed by Ken Blanchard as the most comprehensive and valuable handbook on the topic of workplace bullying. And Catherine is one of the founders of the National Workplace Bullying Coalition. So let's jump right in. Um, how did you start working in the field of workplace bullying? It's, it's pretty niche. Yes, it is indeed. Uh, so I was the director of human resources for a nonprofit organization over a decade ago and found myself working with a bully and this person was also a director. So, you know, he was my peer, not my boss. We both reported directly to the president and uh, he, he just was hard to work with. You know, he yelled a lot. He definitely tried to micromanage the entire office, not just his own employees, tried to micromanage me. Uh, I thought he was fairly insubordinate to the president, would talk down to him in staff meetings and things. And, um, in, I was very exhausted by this behavior because I personally felt bullied and attacked. But then, of course, as the director of HR, I was dealing with complaints and people coming to me looking for help. And I spent a lot of time talking to the director, the uh, president about it, you know, and trying to convince him to have some conversations with this individual. Um, so as exhausted and frustrated as I was, I was also sort of intrigued by it because all of us in the office were essentially allowing this person to act that way. Nobody would speak up and tell him to knock it off. And so I started getting my master's degree, which I had planned on doing anyway, but um, just really found myself interested in this topic. And as I was writing one of my first papers in grad school, I came across the phrase workplace bullying and discovered that there were 40 years of academic research on it from around the world. And, uh, you know, it was nice to know I wasn't crazy and that my boss's reaction was pretty standard, according to the research. And it just went, you know, all downhill from there. I, I was 
really fascinated by what I was reading and also experiencing at the same time. So in some ways it was therapeutic to research this topic while I was dealing with it and kind of get a, an educational background on it. So I kind of joke my master's degree is in workplace bullying. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's an interesting start. Um, you know, when I always hear things like this, I always wonder, you know, what that person would think if they knew that they created this whole, you know, this whole enterprise really. Um, what do you, th what, can you define workplace bullying for us? Uh, give us some examples and maybe just go over some of the statistics. Sure. So that, that's, there's a lot in that question. So <laughs> here we go. Um, so workplace bullying is essentially psychological abuse at work and it creates a power imbalance that is unhealthy for the target and causes a lot of damage for the target, the witnesses of this behavior and also the organization. Um, so, and also, you know, I'll just say it's very similar to harassment. The, in my opinion, the behaviors aren't the same. The only difference is who you aim them at, right? So all the stories you know about harassment uh, fall under workplace bullying as well. It's just, you know, if you aim them at someone because of their protected characteristic, then, then that's illegal. And we call that harassment. Um, I always like to explain workplace bullying using three categories of behavior. And so the three categories are aggressive communication, humiliation, and manipulation. So just to give you some examples of that, um, aggressive communication, certainly anything that we all can see and look at and, and kind of say, hey, that felt aggressive. So, you know, sending a, a nasty email or yelling at someone or getting in their personal space or using kind of aggressive body language. That's the first category. The second category, humiliation, is about embarrassing, you know, the target. So maybe pointing out mistakes in public, or if you're going to send a nasty email, then you also CC, you know, half the office, um, isolating someone, leaving them out, mocking their ideas or gossiping about them. So that's all the second category of humiliation. And the third is manipulation which is the hardest to identify. It's more passive aggressive and under the radar. And it might be things like giving someone so much work they can't complete it or giving them an impossible deadline or changing their work schedule or their tasks you know, all the time so that they're sort of lost in what they're supposed to be doing, um, giving a poor performance evaluation when maybe the individual doesn't deserve an evaluation like that. So. Um, you know, manipulation is one of those things where if the individual is called out for bullying, they would be able to justify it, you know, so that that's manipulation. Um, and in terms of stats, you know, the it really ranges depending on the industry and you know, the, you know, the Workplace Bullying Institute is a big study you see online all the time. Um, their study found that around 35% of people feel bullied at some point in their life. Um, I've seen studies in certain industries from other countries that have put it as high as 70%. So, um, you know, wow. it's, it's a lot. And I'll, I guess I could say in the end, with all of my 10 years of doing keynote speeches and being out there in the world talking about bullying, a lot, a lot of people come to me and say, I've been bullied, I've dealt with it. So I, I do feel like just in my conversations over the last decade, 
a lot of people have been telling me their stories about it. So it's it's prevalent. You uh, you mentioned that you know harassment um, and bullying are pretty much the same thing. Could you just briefly elaborate on that? Yeah. So harassment includes you know aggressive communication as well. Um, you know we're talking about that hostile work environment, right? So um, racial slurs or mocking someone online or um, you know, getting in their personal space. Of course, sexual harassment can include blocking someone or even assault. Um, and and so bullying is no different than that. You know, it's just that there's no racial slur. It's just some other word that's not focused on their protected characteristic. Mm. Maybe it's stupid instead of a racial slur. You know, so um, if you when you hear stories about harassment or if you were to look at the EEOC's website, you know, they've got quite a few kind of cases there. It really is bullying. Um, and so honestly, when I, when I think of harassment, I look at bullying as a overarching word of, you know, aggressive, abusive behavior at work, intimidating behavior at work. And it's that a reasonable person, you know, would find, um, intimidating or hostile. Um, and then harassment is a subset of bullying. So take that same behavior, aim it at a certain person because of their protected characteristic, and now it's harassment. Um, and then the other subsets of bullying would be hazing, which does happen at work too, um, and also mobbing, which is essentially group bullying. So a group of people bullying one person. Um, so those are all subsets of this overarching word of bullying. You know, I, I can remember a couple instances where, you know, an unfortunate situation like a, a kid at a school, you know, got bullied and then killed themselves, mm -hmm. you know, and it makes national attention for a little while. And then, you know, it kind of doesn't get talked about anymore. It just, you know, and then we just had this this Me Too movement, which unlike a lot of other movements in the past feels like, it might actually have some teeth and the people that are powerful have been brought down and where a lot of people are still talking about it. Do you think that there will ever be uh, a moment where bullying will receive the same kind of attention? I don't know. That is a good question. I think um, one thing harassment has going for it is that there are laws around it. It's clearly defined by Title Seven, right. and then many states have additional laws. Um, and so harassment feels more tangible. And certainly, you know, a lot of the Me Too movement, of course, was started with stories of rape and um, forcing someone to have sex if you wanted to get forward in your career. That's all more overt and everybody can point to that and say that violates a person's rights. You know, how awful is that? Um, I think we would first, if we were going to have a Me Too movement for bullying, first there would have to be laws around it so that people can talk about it in, you know, in one way. So um, I guess what I mean is all of us consultants focused on bullying and even all of the countries, we all define it differently. Um, you know, I have my own ideas on what bullying really means versus another consultant. So we don't have the vernacular to talk about bullying in a real clear way, the way that we do with harassment. So I think that would be step one, if there was going to be a Me Too movement, you know, that there would be more laws. Um, 
so I don't, I mean, I think that would be a long way off. I just know of so, so, so many people who have been bullied and they have a hard time explaining it to their HR department. They have a hard time explaining it to um, their spouses and their friends, and they feel very isolated because nobody understands it um, versus harassment. If you, if you tell a, a friend or a spouse, you know, I'm being harassed they're more inclined to understand what that means and empathize with you. So I think there we have a long way to go before we were to have something like that. I mean, you just mentioned that there's kind of a lack of awareness as to how to define bullying or people are having trouble identifying it. I assume that includes the bullies themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, is, you know, is bullying intentional always? Um, so if you've been bullied, then your answer is a resounding yes, of course, it's intentional, intentional, you know, how could this person treat me this way and not know it? Um, so if you've been bullied, the answer is yes. Um, the academic research does not support that it's intentional. And also I specialize in coaching people who bully, who are usually highly valued individuals um, in the organization. And that's why they've been allowed to act that way. I find that it is not intentional. And mm. so anybody listening who who has been bullied, hear me out. Um, <laughs> the So there's two things that are going on for a person who bullies that um, sort of allows that behavior to happen. The first thing is that they live in a world of anxiety around appearing competent. And of course, we all want to be competent. We all want people to think we we know what we're doing. But they live in uber anxiety, just fear of not being seen as the most competent person in the room. And when they feel like that competence is threatened, they lash out. Uh, It stresses them out. It gives them anxiety and they lash out, which leads to the second piece of it, which is they don't have any social and emotional intelligence, you know, so that's why they're lashing out. It doesn't occur to them to think, oh, I lashed out at Bob today. I should go and apologize um, because they're just so focused on the competence. So, um, and then, you know, HR will say, well, I've talked to this person a million times about their behavior and told them to change and they never do. Doesn't it, isn't it intentional at some point, you know, when they know about it and they continue to do it? And the answer is still no, it's not intentional because they don't understand. They don't have any social emotional intelligence. So if you say um, people are hurt by your feel, by your behavior, they don't, they don't get it. You know, they're like, well, I'm just holding them accountable. What's the big deal? Mm. <laughs> Yeah, that's um, and it's a good lead into the the next question, you know. So if people aren't aware of it, or maybe they are aware of it and they don't know how to change. I mean, is there any hope that these people can change? Yeah, for sure. With with the right coach, with a coach like me. Um, so what I do when I coach these individuals is to interview people that work with them, and I ask um, a very specific question related to their behavior could do a question, but then I'd have to kill you. Um, but I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, so, hey so I, so basically when I first meet the individual, I'm going to be coaching. I ask them four names of people who can speak to this perception of them. You know, you, I'm here because you're perceived as too aggressive. Who can tell me about that? I want to understand what that looks like so that we can look at strategies. Um, and so I collect this feedback and, and we go over it. And of course, I make it so it's anonymous. So while they know, you know, who I interviewed, they don't know what, who said what. Um, 
and they are very interested in changing because what the feedback reveals is that while everybody thinks they're very technically savvy and they're really good at their job, they think this person is very bad at relationships and leadership. So they realize, you know, they, they live in this world of wanting to be seen as uber competent and they get, you know, a 20 page document from me that basically says everybody you work with thinks you're wholly incompetent at leadership and relationships. Um, and so, you know, that inspires them to make a change. Um, and so then we work through strategies about, you know, how, how can you be, how can you hold people accountable without being so direct or, you know, causing people to be afraid of you? Or how can you get your point across without um, causing this perception? Um, and it, it works. So I re-interview people about four months later and find that the this individual has really been able to change. Um, and I'll just add to, um, you know, do that, does that change last forever? If the organization continues to hold them accountable, sure it does. Um, and I've had one client actually, she contacted me about a year later and she said, my employees are telling me I'm falling off the bandwagon. I need us to re-engage. Mm -hmm. Can we coach a little more? Um, and so she had started to revert to her old ways, but the fact that her employees felt comfortable to tell her speaks, you know, volumes for the relationship that she built between you know, when I first met her and her coming back around. So um, they're not psychopaths. You know, these individuals are just really focused on creating um, success and goals, and they care very much about the organization. And they've somewhere along the way forgotten that people are important and you have to care about them too. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting that you bring in the people that are around them. You know, it kind of makes sense once you describe why you do that. But um, I just wanted to ask you about how contagious bullying is. How does it affect the people around, around them? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so people, if you have a leader who bullies, you'll have a variety of responses. So yes, absolutely, it can be contagious. And some people will pick that up and they'll go and bully the people that report to them. And in fact, I'm um, coaching two individuals right now where that's kind of occurred. Um, one individual picked up what his boss was doing. Um, I've coached another individual who would tell me his CEO acted this way. And so he was just kind of following suit. So yeah, it can absolutely be contagious. Um, others, however, instead of picking it up and integrating that behavior uh, into their own um, you know, behavioral repertoire. Um, others will certainly feel very damaged by it. And they, you know, the damage that workplace bullying can cause is quite severe. People can get depressed, anxious. Of course, they're stressed out. And we all know that stress causes physical harm to our bodies. Um, lots of research finds that people get PTSD from being bullied at work. Um, so it, it, there's a, a variety of reactions. Some people may just say, I, I don't, it doesn't bother me. You know, I see it, but I don't care about it. So there's a variety of repercussions. But uh, yes, indeed, some people may decide to start acting that way too. Uh, what, what steps do you think an organization should take to end bullying? 
That is a loaded question. There are a lot of steps. So, um, you know, one of my problems with the Me Too movement is I think we, obviously there's a lot of problems with it. One of my problems with the employer advice being given during the Me Too movement um, was we missed a real opportunity to change the paradigm around harassment and how to solve it. And Unfortunately, one of the um, problems that the training that many states require now around harassment um, is that employers have come to believe that the harassment training is all that's needed to solve harassment. And so similar, you know, and I, I'm saying that because it's similar to bullying, where I'll get calls from organizations who ask me, can, to, can you come do a training on the topic of workplace bullying? And I'll say, sure, what's what's going to happen after the training? Do you have a policy in place or what's the deal? And, you know, it becomes clear that it's just kind of a CYA. People are complaining about bullying, so let's do a training on it. Um, and I actually won't take on those trainings because hmm. all that will happen is people will be more ticked off, you know, that they had to sit through a training about bullying when everybody knows it's, you know, the VP that's the problem or everybody knows it's, you know, um, right. you know, so they're, they're not getting anything out of it and they end up just being more angry. And so I actually don't take trainings on unless there's, it's part of a bigger plan. Um, so to answer your question, um, organizations should start with a climate survey, both with harassment and bullying. Start with a climate survey. If you get a complaint about bullying or harassment, I can almost guarantee 99.9% .9 of the time other people feel that way too. They're just not talking about it. So doing a climate survey will really help you understand you know, what the prevalence of it is and how, how damaging it is. And um, then from there, you can take those survey results and develop some plans to resolve what you saw in the survey. So um, when I work with clients, we do the climate survey first, and then we work with leadership and also some employees to create a strategic plan um, that's focused on culture. So harassment and bullying happen because the culture has allowed it to, right? Um, the culture is such that this behavior has been okay. And so really the the bottom line answer to your question what steps does an organization need to take to end bullying the answer is they need to change their culture hey um you know you kind of brought up like when it's sometimes it's the vp you know and uh we talked once before and uh, i wrote an article about that and i'll include a, a link to that in the description below the episode but um what is it what happens when the ceo is the bully you know, when the leader, the person is making all the decisions? Unfortunately, there isn't much you can do. So if somebody in the organization is close enough to the CEO that the CEO trusts them and will take feedback from them, perhaps you could talk that CEO into coaching, you know, with someone like me, even a, a standard executive coach or leadership coach may be able to help them a little bit. Um, but the key to changing bullying behavior is that real self-awareness of how damaging it is and how incompetent it makes you look. 
Um, and without that knowledge, the CEO will likely always feel that their behavior is okay. Um, so I often, you know, I, I speak at HR conferences all the time and I get that question a lot. And my answer is, unfortunately, if you don't feel you can get through to the CEO about their behavior, then you should quit <laughs> because they're, you know, they're not going to change. Um, and I, I hate that answer, but, uh, unless yeah. someone can help the CEO become more self-aware, it's not going to change. Just have one last question, and it has to do with self-awareness. You know, you talked about how people that are bullies often don't have the social intelligence to understand that what they're doing is hurting other people. Is there, is there anything that someone you know can do to diagnose themselves? You know, to think, say, wait a second, maybe, maybe I'm the bully. Yeah, actually, I have an article on my LinkedIn profile. I can send the link so you can post it there. It's my most popular article sure. on LinkedIn. Are you a bully? <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I think, unfortunately, though, only socially and emotionally intelligent people probably looked at that article. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, if you're, I guess the answer is if people are telling you things like, I feel like you're too direct or, um, you know, I felt like you yelled at me yesterday and I didn't like it. If you're, if you're getting that kind of feedback, then certainly you need to take a look at yourself. Um, you know, I hope every and all leader out there is asking for feedback from the people around them. Um, and hopefully people would feel comfortable to share that honest feedback. Um, you know, so it's, uh, I mean, you could also take a DISC profile or a, a um, emotional intelligence 2.0 test, you know, and see how you come out. But again, um, I don't know that a person who's bullying would really take that in and say, oh, yeah, I'm, I am dominant or, yeah, I am too analytical and direct, <laughs> you know, and that does affect my leadership. Right. So, um, yeah, but I'll share the link to my LinkedIn um, article because that was my number one article. Yeah, yeah, please do. Uh, we'll make sure to post that down in the description as well. Well, this has all been very interesting, and I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to sit down with me today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm always happy to talk about something I'm passionate about. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Listeners, we are always interested in any suggestions you might have uh, for what HR Works should cover next. Feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at HR Works Podcasts if you have any thoughts or concerns or if you just want to say hi. Um, thank you so much for listening. This is Jim Davis with HR Works.